1 Samuel chapter 15. And we read the whole chapter. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telalim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek, or the city of Amalek, and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get you from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is, over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and of the lambs, and all that was good, but would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repented me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. <coughs> and it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place, and is gone about, and passed on, and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, what meaneth then this bleating of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, <clears throat> Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he, that is Saul, said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, when thou, wast, when thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. The Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners of, of the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. 
But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin, and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he that Saul laid hold on the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbour of thine, that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, Saul said, I have sinned, yet honour me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. So Samuel turned again, and Saul, with after Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Then said Samuel, Bring me hither Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto him delicately. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went to his house to Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. A couple of things that you probably have noticed in the last couple of days that the Olympics have started. It was a very new agey kind of opening to the whole thing, but very spectacular nevertheless. The other thing that you probably would have noticed is that the Pope has visited Lourdes, and this is to celebrate the, I think it's a joint thing, it seems to be the Immaculate Conception, which is the, the theory that Mary was born without sin, and also the bodily assumption of Mary to heaven. I was thinking about this before I came out, and uh, I was thinking about standards. We all have standards, and I meant to bring it with me actually. We have a, a, a rod that came out of an old post office, and it's a brass rod which is a yard long. And at the, at the end of one end, there's the, the, the Queen's head, it was done in Victoria's time, the Queen's head, and the other hand, end, there's the Queen's head. To show the exact length, it's the royal standard of the yard. And we have the word of God, which is our standard. 
And if we go beyond the word of God, then anything goes. If we go beyond what it says in scripture, then all sorts of error and all sorts of doctrines can come in. And that's what's happened, of course, with the Roman Catholic Church. They have gone beyond scripture. They have gone beyond what scripture says and they put tradition on equal, if not sometimes a, a more equal, <laughs> if you can have it, footing than the word of God. And it's sad to see a man in, of his age bowing down before the statue of the Virgin Mary. Uh, I, I have his book. He wrote a book called Crossing the Threshold of Hope. And there are a couple of interesting uh, things in this which would be of interest to you just in relation to the fact that he is there to pray to Mary. It says here, Pope John Paul, he chose the motto for his papacy, Tutus to us, I am completely yours, O Mary. That was the, the motto he chose for his papacy. It says, he says here, Mary is the new Eve placed by God in close relation to Christ, the new Adam. The mother of Christ, the Redeemer, is the mother, mother of the church. And of course the catechism says that if we do not know the church as mother, we can't know God as father. It's in their catechism. It's worthwhile buying a catechism and reading it to see what they actually do believe. He is totally involved with Mary all his life. It's interesting actually, it says here that I stopped before the image of Our Lady of Perpetual Help in the parish church of Wadowice. This is when he was a young man. And he goes on to say that that church is tied to the tradition of the Carmelite scapular, rich in meaning and symbolism. And the Pope wears underneath his clothes a Carmelite scapular. It's a kind of vest which he wears all the time. It's kind of fetish thing. You know, he wears that because it gives him supposedly protection. So he is totally involved with Mary, which is totally away from anything scripture says. Mary says, my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. She realized that God was her Savior. The Pope says, no, Mary was sinless. She didn't need a Savior. And after my election as Pope, he says, I became more involved in the problems of the universal church. I have come to a similar conviction. On this universal level, if victory comes, it will be brought by Mary. Christ will conquer through her. Because he wants the church's victories now and in the future to be linked with her. That's what he says. Christ wants Mary to be involved in the victories of the church. It's sad. Millions of people are going astray by being taught that kind of error. Sadly, we have evangelicals 
joining in with fellows like Chuck Colson, uh, Bright of Campus Crusade, he's dead now, but he, he was one of them, uh, Packer, Guinness, many others have all got involved in evangelicals and Catholics together. And it's a mistake. It's a mistake. But that's hard to be interested just in those comments from his book, the Pope's book, in the fact that he is there today holding masses in honor of Mary. Well, let's look, let's go back to what we can learn today, something much more uh, helpful, I hope, uh, than that. First Samuel 15. You know, I'm sure you've watched television uh, quite often. They, they show these nature programs which are always so fascinating. But the annual migration of the wildebeests across the Serengeti in Africa, uh, it's one of these spectacular things which uh, I'd love to see in reality. Thousands of these animals in this mad dash uh, across the continent. Uh, it looks aimless at times. They just seem to be, they think they were bolting from something behind them, this urge to get to wherever they're going. And they're crossing the, the, the rivers and they're crossing the, 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 the land. And this land that they're crossing, their enemies are there, just waiting for them to, 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 to pounce on them. As they thunder across relentlessly, the, these thousands of animals, the, the lions and the crocodiles must think it's their annual feast day, just waiting to pick them off as they come through, lying in wait for them just to pass. And you know, it's the, it's the young ones and the weak ones and the sickly ones that are so easy to pick up. And you know, I was thinking about that, and it's just like what the people of Amalek did to the children of Israel. The children of Israel had come out of Egypt. They had been suffering so much. God had seen their suffering. He had redeemed them out of Egypt. And now they were on their way to the promised land. They were weak and sickly. They were a disorganized, it would appear, a bunch of released slaves who were heading to the promised land. And what happened? Amalek. You go to Exodus 17, you'll see that they came to a place called Raphidim, which means a resting place. But as they went, and as they came near, the Amalekites came out and started picking off the ones who were the stragglers. Deuteronomy 25. Verse 13, thou shalt not have a bag of divers weights, great and small. It's an interesting passage, actually, in Deuteronomy 25. It starts off, at verse 13, with God saying to the people, you must do justice, you must be righteous in all your dealings. He says, if you have a bag and you're buying something from somebody, don't have two sets of weights in it. Don't have one set of weights for measuring the stuff when you're buying it, and another set of weights, a lighter set, when you're selling it. Be righteous in all your dealings. And that was quite, you'd think that was quite a minor thing. But then he follows it, the next law, the next thing he says, is about the Amalekites. God treats all sin very seriously. 
it's it's one of these things. We we graduate sins. We have white lies and black lies and small sins and big sins. All sin is repugnant to God. But he goes on and says, in verse 17, Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when ye were come forth out of Egypt. How he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou was faint and weary, and he feared not God. Therefore it shall be, when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thine enemies round about in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Thou shalt not forget it. That follows on from having proper weights in your bag if you're selling fellows some apples. God treated both equally seriously. But the main thing was we're talking about today, he says, Amalek, you have to wipe them out. Wipe them out. God did not forget it. And so when we come to Samuel, which is quite a long time after the event that happened in Exodus, Saul was given the instructions to wipe out the Amalekites. It's interesting actually that David was also given the same instructions in Samuel 7 27. But it wasn't until a way into Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 4, that we finally see that the Amalekites were finally annihilated. You know, it's very difficult to get rid of sin in our lives. Very difficult. It was, it was a difficult job to get rid of these Amalekites. And I did something before it came out, you know. We have a habit. If you have a habit, it's very difficult to get rid of sin. Look, take off the H, you still got a bit left. Okay? Take off the A, and there's a bit of it left. Take off the B, and it's still there. And if you take off the T, I, and that's the problem. It's me. It's all to do with me. I can't get rid of it unless I have God's help. And it was the same with these Amalekites. They weren't just as easily got rid of as just going and wiping them out. And Saul went off. Samuel said to him, I've appointed thee to go and get rid of the Amalekites. 400 years had passed about since the Amalekites had attacked Egypt, uh, Israel coming out of Egypt. About 400 years. I'm sure they thought God had forgotten all about it. God doesn't forget. Deuteronomy 23 and verse 31. When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. God remembers. Don't be slack if you've promised God to do something. And in Peter, 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Isn't that interesting? God is not slack. 
Men think God forgets. God won't worry about it. It's only a small thing. God is not slack. He won't forget. Unless we come to him in repentance. And then when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he will put our sins behind his back. He'll throw them in the depths of the sea. He'll remember them no more. I was going to go on about it's different. Remembering them no more is different than forgetting them. You've all heard that. If you forget something, you might remember it again. But if you put it out of your mind completely, that's what God does. He remembers them no more. He doesn't forget them because he might remember them again. You forget where you put your keys, but you'll suddenly remember where you have them. It's slightly different. But there we are. You know, many of the surrounding nations that were round about Israel were totally depraved, morally, physically, and spiritually. They were considered by God to be a moral danger to the Israelites. And they'd had 400 years to repent these people. So God said, no, we're going to wipe them out. You know, Amalek is a type of the flesh, my fleshly nature. I can't just patch up my fleshly nature. I have to get rid of it. I have to get rid of it in order to please God. Romans 7.18 For I know that in me, that is, Paul says, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. In me dwells no good thing. There's nothing in my flesh, in my life, that can please God. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. He had the difficulty, like us all. He, in his fleshly life, he says, there's nothing good in me. Nothing in my flesh can please God. We saw that as the children of Israel went through the wilderness. There was nothing in the wilderness that could satisfy them. Their spiritual life. And it says in Galatians 5.24 And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. That's what we need to do with our flesh. Our fleshly desires, we need to put them to death. Crucify them. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh. We want to crucify those desires which are in us. What good is there in my flesh? None. It must be put to death. Totally. I am crucified with Christ. Paul says. Nevertheless not I live. But Christ liveth in me. How much cancer can a surgeon leave in a person? None. None. Otherwise that cancer grows again. As far as possible when a surgeon operates he tries to get every little bit of cancer out. And that's why in Colossians 3, 5 Paul says mortify, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness which is idolatry. Covetousness. All mixed in with those other sins. You see, God doesn't graduate sins. You think, ah, coveting something isn't all that bad. It's a lot better than fornication. In God's eyes, it isn't. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, into which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these things. Put off all these things. And in addition, here he adds a few more. Anger, 
love, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another in the same things as fornication. Seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Well, let's go on. Back to Saul. Saul prepared for the attack. And there were people called the Kenites who were there. And they were relations to Jethro, his father-in-law. And Jethro, of course, had helped Moses to sort out the judging of the people. But they were a wandering tribe and they were in amongst the Amalekites at that particular time. In any case, and Saul says, listen, get out of the way. Because we don't want to wipe you out as well as the rest of them. Kenites did the right thing. They separated themselves from the evil ones, the ones who were going to be. And that's the way we should live our lives. Separate from the sin. Separation was the whole problem with Israel. All through their time in the wilderness, they mixed and they mixed and they mixed with the wrong people. Separate yourselves. And so these people, the Kenites, separated themselves. We must be prepared to separate ourselves as in our Christian walk day by day. Not by isolating ourselves, but by insulating ourselves. Like the cable going to the electric fire or the electric light. It's in the world, but it's, it's insulated from the world, but it still produces light at the other end. And you know, as we read what Saul did, he seemed to do a reasonable job. Under normal circumstances, he did a reasonable job with the Amalekites. But, he, and it's such a big but, he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. He spared him. And the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, covetousness came in, you see. They, oh, get rid of all those old straggly uh, sheep and the ones that are half dead and the ones with the broken legs. Get rid of them. That's no problem. But keep the best of them. It's like this God. We had a God. You won't have heard about this God. There's a God called Shirley. A woman God. And we, we've had this God. We've been talking about it over the last few weeks. And Christians worship this God called Shirley. And Saul was doing it here. He was saying, Surely God would agree with me and keep the best of the sheep. It's a waste of money. Surely, surely God would do that. God doesn't act that way. God said get rid of them, but he thought it was a better idea keeping the best of them. Disobedience, covetousness, and collusion with sin. And you know, in verse 11, God spoke to Samuel, and he said he was displeased. He said, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king. We won't go into this thinking about God repenting at this stage. We've done it before, but we'll look at it again some other time. God's attitude to Saul changed. You know, I, when, I'm, when I'm, before I became a Christian, I was under the judgment of God. When I accepted Christ as my Savior, I'm not under the judgment of God because Christ bore that judgment for me. God's attitude to me changes because I'm now a son of God. So Saul's God said, I'm sorry that I re it repented me that I have set up Saul to be king. For he has turned back from following me and not performed my commandments. And you know, the, the lovely thing about that verse is that it says, It grieved Samuel. 
it grieved Samuel. It's not, it's not amazing. Samuel had been replaced by this man as king. Samuel had been the judge, and he'd been kicked out by, by, by the people because they had chosen Saul. They had rejected God as their leader, and they had appointed a king. They had appointed somebody instead of Samuel. This king was now going to judge them. And yes, look what it says. It grieved Samuel, and he cried all night unto God. What a lovely character he was. He'd been, he'd been rejected by the people, and he cried all night on behalf of Saul before God. He had a sincere regard for Saul. Have we a similar concern for people who are lost? And many of us can say we have prayed all night for somebody who is lost or who is going astray. All night. And he'd every reason to have done otherwise. He'd been rejected by the people. God had said, no, Samuel, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me, but they had rejected Samuel as well. And yet he, he grieved so much for Saul that he prayed all night for him. But you know, Samuel wasn't just a man who prayed, he was a practical man as well. He got up early in the morning and he went to meet Saul. Got up. And Saul, you know, <laughs> it would appear that in verse uh, 12, Saul had set up a little bit of a monument because of his victory. He'd set up a, uh, he says, he set up a place. He set up a little cairn of stones or something to commemorate his victory over the Amalekites. And he went out to meet Samuel. We saw this the last time. Even though he had disobeyed God previously, he came out to Samuel again this time, and he said, Blessed be the Lord, I have performed the commandments of the Lord. Amazing. And I thought Samuel's answer was very good. Oh, have you? Oh, what's that bleating of sheep I hear? And the cows are lowing. Oh, that? <laughs> oh, well, you see, it was like this. And we've already seen last week, Saul was an expert at making up excuses. Just like you and me. When we disobey God, we can make up excuses as to why we did it. The people, look at what he says. And Saul says, they have brought them from the Amalekites. They have brought them. The people, they would need to sacrifice to God. They reckoned that they, at the end of this battle, we would have to sacrifice to God. And the people decided on that. So they decided to keep the cattle. The people did. They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people, not him, the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord. My God, no sad he says thy God thy God he had disconnected himself from God in some way he, he talks throughout this chapter of the Lord thy God not my God and the rest he says we have utterly destroyed oh we got rid of all the bad ones but the people you have to blame the people it wasn't really my idea 
It was the people. And Samuel says, hang on there. I will tell you what the Lord says. And what he said to me last night. And he, he explains to, to Samuel. To Samuel explains to Saul, when thou wast little in thine own sight. Oh yes, when you were humble. He hid himself when they wanted to make him king. He hid himself in, the, in amongst all the baggage. He was so shy, bashful big fellow. But he changed. He changed. But now he says, God told you to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you do this? And you know, Saul was so arrogant. Saul said to Samuel, Oh, wait, you're not quite right there. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Verse 20. And gone the way which the Lord sent me. And I've brought Agag, the king of the Amalekites, back. But I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. It, it was just, didn't make sense. But then he says, The people took the spoil. The people did it. I didn't want them to. But the people did it because they wanted to sacrifice to God. You know, that was one of the problems with the Israelites. Again and again and again, they offered sacrifices which were not sacrificed. A sacrifice is something which, you, which costs you something. It costs you. But they were getting the stuff for nothing. And they were going to offer it to God. And God had told them to destroy it in any case. So like ourselves sometimes, we, we come with our, 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 our prayers and praise to God, but it hasn't really cost us anything. It cost the Lord Jesus Christ his life for to place us in this situation. Samuel says, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying his voice? You know, in Micah 6 and 6 it says, Wherefore shall I come before the Lord and, how my, and bow myself before the Most High? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Is that what the Lord wants? Thousands of gallons of oil and sacrifices by the hundred? No. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, that thou, and what doth the Lord require of thee? What does the Lord require of thee? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before thy God. Saul didn't do that. Samuel says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as the iniquity and idolatry. Oh, if you're, you've rejected the word of the Lord and he's rejected you. When we are in rebellion against God, we are not worshipping God. And if we are stubborn, we are going against his commandments. And you nearly think you see a change in Saul. He says, I've sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord thy, and thy words, because I feared the people. That was the trouble. He feared the people. He didn't put his faith and trust completely in God. He feared what the people were going to say about him. 
What were they going to say about him? He feared them. He had been appointed God King of Israel. And he had the authority of God for that position. But he feared the people. Don't be afraid of their faces, it says somewhere in Scripture. You know, don't be afraid of the people because I'll go before you, God says. It's very hard sometimes to face people and not to be afraid of the people. And that was Saul's problem. I feared the people and I obeyed their voice instead of the voice of God. Let us move on. And he says, pardon me, pardon me, pardon me, that I may worship the Lord. God had rejected Saul. So Samuel could not therefore go back with him. He said, go back with me. You know, don't leave me here. Come back and let me face the people with you. Give me a sense of dignity here. He was worried about himself, what the people were going to think about him. Samuel says, no, I, I, I won't go back with you. I won't. You've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king. And he's appointed somebody else in your place. And you know, poor wretched soul, we have to feel sorry for him. He grabbed a hold of Samuel's cloth, his, his, his gown, and it ripped. Dramatic thing. And he said, the Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine. That is better than thou. And the strength of Israel will not lie or repent. For he is not man that he should repent. You know, we have a, 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 a human attitude to God sometimes. We forget the holiness and the authority of God. He's not on our level. God is sovereign. He doesn't have to give excuses or reasons to men why he does things. He said, will you not come back with me? Samuel relented. He went back to face the people. The same people that Saul had feared and whom he had blamed for all the trouble. But Samuel wasn't finished just yet. He says, where's this man Agag? Bring him out. <laughs> and it says, Agag came out delicately. I'm sure he did. He could see the writing was on the wall from him. And he said, oh, let's all, let's, what's all, surely all this talk about killing is all over now. Let's all be friends. But Samuel said, you've caused a lot of trouble. You've made many women childless. And your mother's going to be childless. It's a gruesome story. He chopped him up. And that was the end of Agag. And what a sad ending for the associations between Saul and Samuel. What a sad, and what a warning to us. Here's a man, a young man, who had set out only a few years previously to find a herd of donkeys. And his whole life had changed as a result of that. He'd gone to see, see the, the seer in the town, who was Samuel. God had spoken to Samuel and said, anoint this man king. 
Dat is een schande. De kind. Is het ended in this. And those two verses at the end of the chapter, I think are some of the saddest verses in this story. Then Samuel went to Ramah. And Saul went up to his house in Gabeah of Saul. Listen. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Never saw him again. Never saw him again. Nevertheless. And this is lovely. After all that, nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. Oh, he loved this young man. But he realized that he crossed over that line. He had cut God out of his life. What a sad story. What a sad ending. There's a line that is drawn by rejecting the Lord. Ere the call of his spirit is lost. And you hurry along with the pleasure mad throng. Have you counted? Have you counted the cost? You may barter your hope of eternity's morn. For a moment of joy at the most. For the glitter of sin and the things it will win. Have you counted? Have you counted the cost? While the door of his mercy is open to you. Ere the depth of his love you exhaust. Won't you come and be healed? Won't you whisper, I yield? I have counted, I have counted the cost. Have you counted the cost if your soul should be lost? Though you gain the whole world for your own. Even now it may be that the line you have crossed, have you counted? Have you counted the cost? God says, my spirit will not always strive with man.